Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunavah in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father, our King Lord, we want to firstly say that we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, time that we can spend together. Thank you for the recent. Uh, a holiday that we just enjoyed, Thanksgiving, and a time to stop and to uh, reflect on what matters most in life. And uh, Lord, we can't uh, we can't let this opportunity pass by without stopping and saying thank you to the one who makes all things possible. For indeed, Lord, uh, by your Spirit, by your grace, you have drawn us together. Uh, you have drawn us into uh, relationship with you. And for that reason, uh, we can now uh, give thanks for so many other things. Uh, Lord, the list is endless, and so we just want to uh, say thank you with a sincere heart of thanks uh, for opening our eyes and bringing us into a revelation and a knowledge of the truth of who you are and who your Son is. Uh, thank you for Yeshua. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promises spelled out in your word. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for salvation. Bless you, Lord, for all of these wonderful things. Thank you for family. Thank you for um, bringing us uh, so far, for continuing to raise us up, to give us a voice in this dark generation, to give us uh, a sense of hope, even though uh, many things around us seem to be crumbling and falling apart and, and, and bursting at the seams. Even though it seems like hate and and racism and and uh, um, discouragement and doubt and disbelief is it seems to be growing, uh, seems to be strengthening. Lord, we don't put our hope and our faith and our trust in what's going on around us in the world. Rather, we our hope is anchored in the Rock, and His name is Messiah. And we know that if we build on this Rock, that our house will not crumble. We know, Lord, as we uh, put on the armor of Ephesians chapter 6 that we will be able to stand against the wickedness, against uh, spiritual forces, against the darkness, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, as Paul describes it in the, in, in the KJV, spiritual wickedness in high places. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege of, of uh, putting on the armor and taking a stand in Messiah. Bless you for the opportunity to, to study Galatians, to teach others, to share in the thoughts and in the uh, uh, encouragement of those who are like-minded uh, for the fellowship of the saints. Uh, Lord, I ask that you'll give me a heart to uh, reach those whom I'm teaching and to be able to um, gain in the knowledge that uh, we're sharing with one another. Uh, Lord, we do this to bless you and to honor you and to... Uh, to strengthen your kingdom, to uphold your kingdom, to to uh, to magnify your name. Bless us for all that we do in your name. We'll pray. Uh, we'll continue to to seek your face in all of these things, and we'll be careful to give you the glory in Yeshua's name. Amen. Well, thank you everyone uh, for joining me once again for another week of exegeting Galatians. Um, uh, again, my name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and I'm coming to you. Uh, from far, far away, right? Uh, but these studies are, are presented each week uh, live via Skype. For those of you who can't join us each week live, I encourage you to um, 
find the study online. Go to my website at www.tetzetorah.com. T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H. Tetzetorah stands for the Torah shall go forth. Uh, from the homepage, just click along the top, click on the Galatians commentary link, and scroll down to the page. You can find the um, uh, links to the written notes, the uh, links to the audio recordings that we make every week. And I post the audio recordings. Um, they're about an hour long. I post them live. Let's see, I post them to iTunes. I post them to my website. I post them to graftedin.com which is my congregational website. So I make them available on on web in, in a few different ways. That way you can follow along a few days after the live study if you weren't able to make it. Also, um, keep in mind that uh, we work on a 10-week on, 2-week off semester schedule. And so this week, let me just glance real quick. This week we are on week 47. So... Uh, we've got three more weeks left in this semester, and then we'll take a two-week break, and then we start over again with a 10-week uh, semester schedule. So, hope that works out for everyone. That Those two-week breaks give the students a chance to kind of get caught up for uh, lessons they may have missed, or just to kind of stop and catch their breath. And it gives me, the teacher, a chance to kind of go back through the notes and uh, look at things I've missed, or catch up on emails or questions that people send in. Uh, make comments or corrections, things like that. All right, uh, let's get started with the study. Um, let's date stamp the recording. Tonight is November 26th for most of you, 2016. And um, I want to open with some liturgy first, as I'm fond of doing so. Uh, this this time, I'm, I, I try to switch the liturgy up just a little bit here and there, every now and then. And so this week, since these studies take place Typically in the evening, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. You'll have to adjust your uh, time zone f to match that. But uh, 7 p.m., so so it's probably after dinner for some of you, or uh, somewhere around that time. So let me go ahead and read uh, just this paragraph out of the Blessing for Grace After Meals, the Birkatama Zone, uh, the grace or the blessing uh, after we eat. And... I like this particular uh, paragraph for a few reasons, but uh, practically speaking, it's because many of you probably just finished eating. If not, just consider this kind of a thanks for the meal that you ate on Thanksgiving Day. I know many of you probably uh, uh, ate to your fill, and uh, what a blessing to be able to enjoy the plentiful food that, that God has provided for us. So we'll just consider this a blessing after Thanksgiving meal or something like that. Also, Right here in the middle of the Birkat Amazon, this particular paragraph, we've got that, that that give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And uh, that, that quote from the book of Psalms, what, that's so wonderful for us to, to uh, remind ourselves about. So, uh, for those of you who, in the, who are in the live study, I've got the screen pulled up. You can see I've got a, a, a kind of a snapshot of a Sidur, um, Sidur Beit Hallel. Uh, this is Tim Haig's home congregation, Beit Hallel. They have their own Birkat Amazon that they make available. I think it's available right off their website, if I remember. I, I got this one just from Tim. I can't remember if it's available online or not, but um, he's got a messianic Birkat Amazon that they created. It's got, um, it's got Hebrew, if you're looking at the screen, it's got Hebrew on the left, and then it's got the English translation on the right. And then immediately below the English translation, it's got transliterated Hebrew. So in case you're trying to follow along with the Hebrew, practice or brush up on your Hebrew, this is a great way to do it. All right, I'll read the English for you first, uh, running down the right, and then I'll go ahead and read the Hebrew as well, okay? Let's read. Fear Adonai you, his holy ones, because there is no lack to those who fear him. Young lions may feel want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai lack nothing of all things good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good, for his loving kindness is eternal. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, and Adonai will be his security. I was young, and I have grown old. And I've not seen a righteous one forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Adonai will give strength to his people. Adonai will bless 
his people with peace. Amen. Let's go back and read the uh, Hebrew as well. The Hebrew reads, Yiru et Adonai kadoshaiv ki ein maksor li reiv kafirim rashuvara evu vara evu vdorashe Adonai lo yachsuru chotov hotu ladonai kitov ki leulam chasdo poteach et yadecha umasbil ho chayratzun bauch hagever asher yivtach Adonai vhaya Adonai mitacho Na <clears throat> Let me start that line again. I was young. Na arhaiti gamzakanti valoraiti vatsatik netzav vatsarlo mevakesh lachem Adonai ozla amo yitein Adonai vech et amo bashalom. All right, that's the Hebrew for us. And now let's turn to a passage out of the. Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, the Brit Chadashah, whatever you're used to calling it there. Uh, this is from the book of Galatians, which we're studying, obviously. And we've made our way, finally, into the ta- uh, into the excursus section, where we're kind of going uh, verse by verse through the book. And uh, oddly enough, we're only halfway through my written commentary, which is about 180 pages online. So we're around page 90, you'll see here in a moment. For the liturgy... Uh, I'm going to select uh, uh, just a few verses out of chapter 2, and the verses I'm using are actually the verses that we're going to be studying tonight, at least for the uh, commentary. So in Galatians 2, I just want to start in verse... I want to back up maybe to verse 14 and kind of get a running context there. We we studied last week uh, this section, so I'll read it again in my liturgy. Uh, Galatians 2.14... And I'll read down through just verse 16, just these two verses. And this is the ESV. This is kind of the, the version I've just adopted as my generic English version. Although I could read any version. The CJB is one of my favorites, uh, Complete Jewish Bible by David Stern. But um, uh, when I'm trying to read liturgy, I try to read a version that many more people are familiar with. Uh, so I, I guess I can change it around a little bit. Maybe next week I'll read the CJB. But tonight, here we got ESV. Galatians 2.14 through 16 reads, uh, this is Paul speaking to Peter, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to uh, Cephas, I think is how most people pronounce it, but the, the, the Greek actually has uh, uh, sounds like a hard C sound, so I'll say Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then we got Paul going into this harsh rebuke of sorts, Verse 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We know, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15, and then verse 16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, end quote. Now let's go back and read that same passage in the Greek, and I'll just use an interlinear version since I'm on BibleHub.com's website. So uh, let's see, where did I find it here? Interlinear chapters. And let's scroll down to verse, start in verse 14. For those of you who are trying to practice your Greek, this is a great uh, website to help you out because it's got... Uh, the Greek here in black, and you know the Greek script, which some can read, some can't. And then if you can't read it, it's got this nice little uh, transliteration above that. And then below that, in the red, there's uh, what do we call it? Uh, kind of a wooden translation, word for word. And then below that, we've got some parsings or um, um, parts of speech, uh, uh, things like that. The the, the grammar notes. So links that tell you whether it's a verb or a noun or uh, what kind of uh, Greek's going on. So let's start in verse 14 and read through the through verse 16. And again, reminder for those who are just joining us by Skype, make sure your microphones are muted uh, while I'm recording, and um, that way everyone can enjoy uh, uh, listening to the audio teaching without any interrupted sounds. All right, let's read the Greek, uh, starting in verse 14, Galatians 2.14. The Greek reads... Alhate edon hati uk orta budusen. 
prostein alathian tu euangeliu eponto kepha emprosten panton esun eudaios huparkon ethnikos kai uk eudaikos zesposta ethne uh, anankadzes eudaitsein. And that's verse 14. Peter, uh, Paul asking Peter, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And we talked about that last week. Now let's move into a section uh, in the liturgy, 15 and 16. This is kind of a heart of um, maybe chapter 2. The Greek reads, Hemes fuse eudaioi kai uk ex ethnon hamartoloi. Verse 16. Edatis de... Edatis de hati u de kai utai anthropos ex ergonamu in me diepistios Christu Jesu, kai hemes eis Christon Jesun epistusimen, hina decaithomen et pistios Christu, kai uk ex ergonamu, hati ex ergonamu, u decaio thesetai, uh, pasa sarx. And we'll stop there. And we're going to get a lot of mileage out of these terms tonight, uh, works of the law, ergonamu, um, faith in Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus, the Epistios Christi Jesu, um, and things like that. What does it mean for Pete, for Paul to rebuke Peter that uh, uh, a man is not justified by the works of the law, right? Udikaiutai anthropos ex ergonamu. What does it mean to be justified, dikaiutai? Um, let's talk about that tonight. All right, let's turn to my commentary. Um, we left off last week on verse, um, we left off, we, we, we stopped just before verse 15. And so we're on the commentary, let's see, we're on page 95, and we just talked about, um, uh, oh, what verse did we just hit? Sorry about that. We just hit verse 14. So let's turn to verse 15 and keep reading. In the commentary itself, I also use the ESV for the English section there, um, so that everyone can... Uh, uh, I, the reason, again, uh, without belaboring the point, it's not that the ESV is actually my favorite version. I, I Again, I prefer um, probably a handful of versions uh, equally, CJB being one of them, uh, e English, uh, e uh, NASB, uh, KJV, I actually like the KJV, oddly enough, as a Messianic, and uh, the ESV, but... I find that many Christians who follow my commentaries, a good number of them are not familiar with some of the Messianic versions, like the Tree of Lights, Tree of Life version, Tree of Lights. <laughs> That's a faux pas, right? Uh, Tree of Life, uh, Life um, and the uh, Complete Jewish Bible, things like that. They're not familiar with them. They're not available to them. They don't know where they can buy them, uh, things like that. Maybe your Bible bookstore, I think. But ESV, KJV, uh, NIV, NASB, those things, those are familiar to people. And so I, I'm fine using those versions uh, in my commentaries as well. After all, we can bring out the Hebraic uh, background to any version we use in, in reality. So we've got Galatians 2.15 and 16. ESV reads, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are. Also, have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. And I already read the Greek for you. Um, I think it's important to start off by asking ourselves some questions of the text, and we're going to do that right here in the um, commentary. So let's see if we can catch the gist of it. I don't know how far we're going to get uh, tonight. I never do. Um... But this particular section, 2.15 and 16, these verses, uh, covers, if you can see me scrolling down through the screen, covers probably two or three pages before we uh, start picking up the comments again on verse 19. Remember, this is not a verse by verse. I don't kept, uh, cover every verse. Instead, uh, by design, I only hit the verses that I feel have historically... Um, carried a lot of baggage with them uh, as they get tossed around between uh, traditional Christian theology and between now traditional uh, Messianic theology. Obviously, the Messianic groups are pro-Torah 
and they're in favor of, of continuing following after the law of Moses. And obviously by now, uh, most Christian groups are in favor of not following after the law of Moses, at least as is described by the Messianics as um, uh, keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, uh, following after the, 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 uh, the festivals, uh, you know, putting a mezuzah on your door, wearing tzitzit, some of the more visible um, signs of uh, Torah observance that most of us are familiar with. In reality, both groups are following after Torah, and if you believe in Yeshua, name the name of Yeshua as Messiah, then you are keeping the central part of the Torah. So in reality, I, I, I try to be careful with the words I use. I don't really tell Christians that they're not keeping Torah because I think that's misleading, and I think it just simply it sends the wrong signal, and it's hurtful. Because in reality, Christians are keeping Torah. They just don't know, perhaps, or they don't describe it that way. They don't, they don't uh, articulate it that way, but they really are keeping Torah. But they aren't actually following the parts that, this is going to sound really strange to some of you, but they aren't keeping the parts that, oddly enough, would make them resemble Jews or make them look Jewish if they were to actually do them. In other words, keep the Sabbath, keep kosher, uh, practice circumcision, things like that. Those are the ones that make people look Jewish when you keep them. And that's really the challenge, right? Should they make you look Jewish? Are they supposed to make you look Jewish? Etc. Let's read my commentary and see if we can get some answers. Let me just double check on Skype real quick to see who all is with us. Okay, looks like we've got another, a few more students that have jumped in the group. Alright, um, comments to 2.15 and 16. And I hope that those of you who are following my commentary have uh, followed me for a reasonable length of time because you're going to find out now that this section, these few verses, are really a kind of a chair passage section. They're kind of um, a kind of a foundational uh, point of Paul's uh, rebuke to Peter and to those of us who are reading Paul's letters, uh, you know, two thousand years later. How does a man become justified in the eyes of the Almighty? Of course. It, it seems to be an age-old law versus grace discussion. Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? And there is an, there is an aspect of that in this passage. We're not justified by works, but through faith. At, its, at the very simplest level, that is true that there's a contest in Paul's mind, meaning he's discussing this idea that was prevalent in the first century. How does a man become justified? This, this Greek word, dikaiosune, or in the Hebrew we would talk about, how does one become a tzaddik, a righteous man? Today we can just use standard uh, kind of Christian lingo, Christianese, and just say, how, how does a person become saved and then sanctified afterwards? How do we get brought into the family group of God? That's really the big question. So let's listen to Paul, at least my comments. The background behind understanding these important two verses was addressed in section 4 above under Works of Law Part 2. And if you don't recall what I said there, please go back and look at that sometime so you can get a full treatment. This is just going to be kind of a snapshot of that. Uh, verse 15 states, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Right? Paul's got this idea of Jews by birth, Gentile sinners. What's going on there? Uh, let's start with Tim Haig's commentary. He writes in his Galatians commentary on page 67 that the key to understanding this cryptic phrase is in knowing that it is not coming from the mouth of Paul. Right, even though Paul wrote it, perhaps Paul is uh, repeating someone else's um, thoughts where he says, we're Jews not by birth. And I'm going to see if I can approximate this in my voice using my inflection for a moment uh, so you can get the idea of what I think Tim Hague's trying to convey. Rather, I go on to say, or rather, uh, Tim Hague goes on to say, rather, he is simply restating the popular views of the influencers he's arguing against. Remember, the influencers is a name that um, that I and Tim Hague and Mark Nanos have decided to call what most people would refer to as the Judaizers. But... As most of you know, I don't prefer nor do I recommend using the phrase Judaizer because I think not only is that a pejorative term, right? It's kind of a, a, a negative sounding term, Judaizer. But it's also, and this is coming from, this is my personal bias. I am a Jew. I think it's kind of racially, it's kind of racially heated to say a Judaizer and use it in a negative way. It's I think it's a bit of a racial slur, to, my, to, to be honest with you. And I encourage those of you who are Christians and Messianics 
stop using the term Judaizer, especially around around Jews, um, especially in, in in a negative uh, context uh, to speak of someone who's perhaps what you would might think of as a legalistic person, kind of like the way we use the word Pharisee in, in Christian circles. I encourage Christians to stop using that word as well. Oh, he's living like a Pharisee. Oh, he's a Pharisee. Um, you know, I understand the Pharisees may have been the villains of the piece often, and may I understand that the Judaizers may also be what we might call the detractors, the villains of the piece. But the term itself is not the best term to use, especially among Jews. So... Especially when we find out that the term Judaize really is just a transliteration of the Greek word eudaizein or eudaizo, the verb uh, of the Greek term eudaizo. And it just means to live like a Jew or to live as the Jews live, to live a lifestyle of the Jews, to live a Jewish lifestyle. And stop and ask yourself the question, was Jesus a Jew? Is he Jesus a Jew? Yeah, he is. How about Paul? How about the other apostles? How about the many Messianic Jews in the world today who live as Jews, who live at, like Jews because we're Jews? I'm a Jew. I live like a Jew. So when we say Judaize, it's, it's just a neutral term. <laughs> it just means to live the way the Jews do. Jesus lived like a Jew, so was Jesus a Judaizer? You see my point? So let's change our terms. Let's, I think influencers is a good kind of a neutral term. They influence the people. You can influence someone for good or you can influence them for bad. So in this case, the people were kind of influencing the 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 uh, those 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 villains in the book were influencing Paul's readers in a negative way. All right, um, I go on to say in my commentary, I think Higgs' point is a strong probability um, that Paul might be actually using the words of someone else here. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And in other words. Um, Peter is rebuke, um, uh, Paul is rebuking Peter, and in his rebuke, I get this kind of sense that uh, Paul is telling Peter uh, his own thoughts, telling Peter Paul's own thoughts, right? Sharing his own personal thoughts with him. But at the same time, uh, Paul reminds Peter of the kind of standard um, verbiage that a, that a Jew might hear in the first century, especially if he if he moved in and among Jewish circles. And one of the things that might be common to hear, I think this is where Tim Hague's going, one of the things that might be common to hear in Paul's day was, we're Jews by birth, we're not Gentile sinners. Kind of this, um, this, uh, oh, almost a, a, a kind of a, what do we say, a, not, a, kind of a racist, uh, a slightly racist, maybe a bit of a, a of a, a prejudiced, uh, terminology that Jews might use against non-Jews, right? It's it's bad enough that many Jews of the first century had um, ill feelings towards Gentiles due to the fact that they were not Jews and due to the fact that Gentiles were associated with paganism so often. But it's another thing to call a Gentile a sinner. Why do we have the double, uh, the double description? We're Jews by birth. We're natural-born Jews. We're not Gentiles. No, not just that. We're not Gentile sinners. So it's almost like Paul is saying to Peter, um, look, Peter, um, if I were to go back to the, 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 um, the English uh, for a second, give me a moment. Uh, it's almost like Peter's, uh, Paul saying, um, look, Peter, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's Paul's words. And then Peter, or I'm sorry, then Paul suddenly kind of uh, looks, looks inward, as it were, and recalls these words from the, uh, the, the influencers themselves, and he kind of changes his voice to mimic the voice of the influence. We're Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. Right? You can hear me kind of play with my voice there as if I'm speaking as if I'm a traditional thinking Jew for a moment. I, I think that's what Tim Higgs trying to suggest is going on with this we're, self -Jew, we're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. So, um, I think Higgs' point is a strong probability, to be sure. Uh, in Paul's day, to call a Gentile a sinner right, was, from a Jewish point of view, kind of derogatory. It was something Shaul likely would not have endorsed, and that's why uh, I don't think it's Paul's words to say we're not Gentile sinners, I don't, because Paul had a, a deep love for the Gentiles, especially after Yeshua opened his eyes to understand how the Gentiles fit into the program of God. So the, the established 
uh, Judaic view of Gentiles, however, in Paul's day, allowed for them, the Gentiles, to be labeled by the, quote, authentic covenant members, end quote, as such. You have to remember, in Paul's day, there was this kind of a, a class system going on in Judaism, a, 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 a caste system, where the Jews uh, had a kind of a, a self-understanding uh, a, a Jewish nationalism going on. They felt that they were the kind of the primary um, choice of God's people group. And for Paul, I say, to insert this quote into his argument, right, the syntax of the Greek phrasing I think is crucial, uh, syntax being the word order, uh, it only makes sense if we understand the rhetoric by which Paul is desperately trying to shake Peter loose from his current deficient halakhic actions. What's going on? Peter has indeed confessed faith in Yeshua. We know this is true. We know Peter's a believer. So why is Peter, Peter waffling? Why is he going back in his decision to, to associate with the Gentiles? Was it because the Gentiles ate unkosher food and Peter uh, broke his dietary uh, preferences to hang out with the Gentiles? And then when those, those, the, those of the circumcision faction, those uh, l quite likely unbelieving Jews from, uh, they say they were from James, we don't know if they're from, if they really uh, had James approval or not, but Paul calls them the men from James, right? They sound like the men from Black. The men from James showed up and Peter, you know, got scared. He got, uh, he, he decided to pretend as if he never really hung out with the Gentiles and perhaps ate non-kosher food. What's going on here? Uh, Peter has indeed confessed faith in Yeshua, so that to hold to the view that Gentiles are unclean, you know, quote-unquote unclean, actually would be frustrating to the genuine gospel that Shaul has been commissioned to take to the Gentiles. So, I think there's a better way to understand this interchange between Paul and Peter. I don't think Peter actually was eating non-kosher food. The, the text doesn't say that he uh, was eating non-kosher food. We, that's, that's a reading into the passage by later Christian authors. What we do know is that Peter withdrew fellowship, and it's more likely that he withdrew uh, because he feared um, uh, being he feared taking a stand uh, for the Gentiles as co-equal uh, covenant members uh, in Messiah. He feared that if he actually sent by his signal of hanging out with the Gentiles as as, as uh, equal. Uh, equal participants in Israel, he feared that if he, if he was seen hanging out with the Gentiles as a Jew, that those other Jews, those kind of those traditional Jews, those, those uh, influencers from James, they say they were from James, I don't think they really were from James, but uh, those other Jews who didn't agree with allowing Gentiles to join Jewish Israel, Peter seemed to feel that if he uh, uh, hung out with the Gentiles that they would reject him as well. And so he kind of jumped back over on, on the Jewish side of the fence, so to say. So let's keep reading my commentary. So Paul's going to rebuke him, and rightly so. Um, in my commentary I say, I'm indebted to a group of fellow Torah students in a Bible study that I attend weekly for pointing out that there may, however, be another way to understand Gentile sinners in this verse. Right? Paul says to Peter, we're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. What does he mean by Gentile sinners? Um, I think, perhaps, if we take the word Gentile sinners and connect it to verse 17, where we're going to see it here in a moment, um, we might find some other clues. Let me just real quick read verse 15 and 17 together. Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And then in verse 17 he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Right? So we got this hamartaloi, I think, in the Greek for sinners. And uh, hamartaloi shows up again in verse 17. 15 and 17 use the same Greek word. Sinners. Maybe Paul is calling the Gentiles sinners. Maybe it's Paul's words instead of um, borrowing a phrase from the influencers. Uh, borrowing it just to kind of shock Peter back to his senses like Tim Hague says. Perhaps maybe, maybe there's another way. Maybe Peter is, maybe Paul's actually uh, saying to Peter, we're, we're, you know, yeah, they are Gentile sinners, but we ourselves are also sinners in this way. Let's listen to this for a moment. Um, if there's another way, however, to, be under, to understand Gentile sinners in this verse, that, where it's connected to verse 17, um, if that's the case, then Paul says that Jews who choose 
to identify with Gentiles in co-equal justification, like Peter was doing when he hung out with the Gentiles, those Jews who choose to identify with the Gentiles as co-equals in justification in Christ are candidates for being labeled sinners, and I'm using air quotes with my fingers, right, sinners, because it's kind of this technical term, they are going to be labeled sinners by the sectarian Jews who support the ethnocentric view of justification and fraternization. Understand what I'm saying? Jews who hang out with Gentiles because they're Gentiles and because they're Gentiles in Messiah risk being ostracized by the kind of the... Um, the mainstream Jews of their day, the religious Jews of Paul's day, uh, because those Gentiles who hung out with Jews uh, are kind of sympathizing with the... I'm sorry, those Jews who hung out with Gentiles are kind of sympathizing with those Gentiles because of their um, uh, their position in Messiah. Until so you can kind of get this idea of Jews looking down their nose at Gentiles just because they're Gentiles, no matter if they're in Messiah or not. And then when you have a Messianic Jew, the likes of Peter or Paul who actually support Gentile inclusion into the people group of God without undergoing the proselyte uh, ceremony to change their legal status from Gentile to Jew, well, you can understand how we've got these traditional Jews who claim they're from James who might, um, who might carry this, this extremely real social pressure to, to keep distance from Gentiles no matter what, just because you're Gentiles. See what I'm saying? And so perhaps maybe Paul is, is telling Peter, you know, we're Jews, we are Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. We're not, we're not Gentiles who are labeled as sinners by the Jews. But nevertheless, we too are going to be found labeled sinners by those very Jews that we uh, know so well. So let's keep reading. Um, thus, perhaps, I go on to say, by initially mentioning Gentile sinners in verse 15, like Paul does, perhaps Paul might be alluding to the fact that no matter, quote, Jewish by birth, end quote, or not, if one seeks the way of the cross, whether you're Jewish by birth or not, if you seek the way of the cross, he is choosing the way of persecution and mockery, right? He's choosing that, that, that route. Note, Paul's phrase, we too were found to be sinners, in verse 17 of the ESV. We too were found to be sinners. Found to be sinners in, in many ways. We're, we were found to be sinners in God's eyes, obviously. But, but in the eyes of the sectarian Jews, those who believed that it was a Jewish-only club, those who believed in, in the Jewish nationalism, those who, who held to the party line that uh, all Jews and only Jews shared a place in the world to come, that group of people would also label Jews who hung out with Gentiles, they would label those Jews as sinners. Right? Those were the influencers. That was, that was their position. Let's keep reading. Continuing with his sharp rebuke, Shaul categorically embraces the notion that true biblical Judaism holds to the correct view that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. End quote. And that, obviously... Um, that quote, a uh, person is not justified by works of law straight out of the, uh, the, the letter here. All right, listen up very closely, those of you who have been following my commentary and those of you who are a little new to my commentary, because I'm going to do a little bit of twisting here. I'm going to take a break from the traditional Christian perspective that the Jews of Paul's day were trying to leverage Torah in order to gain salvation. In other words, this kind of a simplistic ladder to heaven that if you do the Torah, God will reward you with salvation. That's the traditional perspective from the, from the uh, modern Christian church that has uh, studied Paul for the last couple centuries. Um, and um, I think there is a, there's a practical truth to what they're saying. It is practically true that no one can work their way into heaven. No one can earn God's salvation or God's favor by works. It is true. It is theologically, practically true to preach that from our pulpits, that no matter the amount of works that we try to leverage before God, none will add up to salvation. We cannot work our way to heaven. So 
So in terms of legalism, in terms of simplistic legalism, good works will never equal salvation. I understand that. I agree with that theological position. However, listen very carefully, please. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. What I think is going on in the first century is that the first century Jews didn't quite see their Torah observance in that same way. They didn't really interpret uh, their Torah observance as legalism, at least using the same simplistic definition that the Christian church does today. Instead, I think there's something else slightly different going on, and I owe a lot of my research to um, to uh, people like E.P. Sanders, uh, James D.G. Dunn, Tim Haig, uh, N.T. Wright, um, Mark Nanos, I'm sorry, Mark Nanos, um, authors like that. And I think this is the perspective that uh, is going to carry the most weight, at least in my opinion. Again, don't get me wrong. Before I get started, don't get me wrong. Um, I do believe that any approach to God that circumvents the way of the cross, that circumvents the work of Messiah, that circumvents the blood of Yeshua for atonement, any way that tries to reach God that goes around the, the only way to Yeshua, uh, to God, which is Yeshua, any other path really is legalism. I understand that. So in that regards, the, the, view that, the viewpoints that I'm going to describe here in a moment, in other words, my definition of works of the law, it really is legalism. It's legalism. But the, the, the careful distinction I'm trying to make, and I'm belaboring this point because it's, it's really, in my uh, opinion, a kind of a, a, a hermeneutic difference between, say, um, the way that the Christian church interprets and applies the book of Galatians and the way that many Messianics, I think, should interpret and subsequently apply the book of Galatians. So, um, strap yourselves in. Um, what do we say when we're riding the uh, the roller coaster? You know, keep your seatbelts on until the ride comes to a complete stop. All right, here we go. Contrary to the popular first century belief that one must either be born Jewish or convert to becoming a Jew, Paul's gospel extended lasting covenant membership to all who would freely embrace the message of the cross event. The word translated here is justified in our in most of our versions, right? I read that Greek word dikaiosune or uh, dikaios or something like that. Um, it clearly invokes a positional righteousness as determined by Hashem. So justified, just to use traditional uh Christian lingo, right? To use Christianese, justified is essentially salvation language. It's 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 language that describes joining the people group of God. In other words, it's how you get into the family of God. That seems to be the context of what Paul's saying. All right, positional righteousness, salvation. Given the current contextual argument, right? That that we're reading about here, right in Galatians two fifteen and sixteen. There's this very uh, a very carefully reasoned argument, like Paul is a master lawyer in court, and he's really wanting the, the, the judge, the jury, the people to hang on every word, and every word has kind of a technical, very specific meaning to it. At least that's the way I see it. Um, given the current contextual argument, the fr I think that the phrase, quote, by works of the law, end quote, likely means, quote, by conformity to a man-made ritual, end quote, for the Gentile. Or, when the Jew is in view, it's, quote, by being born Jewish, end quote, for the native born. So, it depends on which group you're referring to that works of the law uh, is applicable to you. If you're a Jew, then works of the law applies to um, your status of being a Jew. You were born a Jew. Works of the law captures that idea and it extends towards your towards your um, uh, towards your Torah observance it, it kind of motivates your Torah observance it it drives your Torah observance but it does not create your Torah observance so to say it does not create your your membership in Israel but if you're a Gentile then works of the law uh, uh, describes your entry into the people of God or entry into Israel or your entry into the uh, covenant so to say so let's keep reading. Works of the law, in my opinion, I'm, I'm right here in this paragraph, for those of you who are in the live study. 
Works of law, in my opinion, could and most probably also envisions the commensurate Torah obedience that was expected to flow out of the life of a professing covenant member, a life of obedience designed to mark a person out as belonging to the treasured people of God. Right? So works of law, if, if I could just put this image in your head, maybe it'll help. Think of the word works of law as a coin with two sides. And this coin is called works of the law. So I'm trying to describe a concept that has two aspects to it. And they're both important, but one of the sides is where you start and the other side is where you end up. So there is this kind of a, a flow to it, okay? In this coin, the first side, the chief side of the, of the coin, is of the works of the law, is your Jewish identity. And this Jewish identity is something that you either get by birth, as a natural Jew, or you can acquire it, that is, you can buy it, you can purchase it via the, the proselyte ceremony. You can go shopping for it, to, so to say. So you're either a natural Jew or you're a, you're a purchased Jew, right? You, you, you've, you bought your Jewishness. Uh, natural or achieved are the terms I use later on in my commentary. So that's the first side of this coin called works of the law. The second side of the coin, which is equally important, but comes up subsequent to the first side, and that's important. The second side of the coin is what we would could describe as Torah obedience or Torah maintenance. And the reason I use the word maintenance is because this this coin called works of the law functioned as kind of a a membership badge, a membership badge, a kind of a uh, a token of your membership in Israel, in Jewish Israel, in the people of God in the covenant people of God. And this is from the first century perspective. This is not, I believe, the correct view. This is not the truth, in other words. It's not, it's not the way God views your membership, but it's the way that, that, that unbelieving men often misunderstand covenant membership. So this, this coin with two sides is it's kind of the unbelieving Jewish perspective, the nationalistic Jewish perspective in, in Paul's day, the, the traditional Jewish uh, perspective from their limited understanding of, of grace and salvation. They believed that they were born Jewish and that got them into covenant membership and then granted them the access to Torah, which then led to the second side of the coin, which was Torah observance, Torah obedience, Torah maintenance. And I use the word maintenance because a covenant member had to keep his place in the covenant by keeping the Torah. At least that was their perspective, as I understand it. In other words, they had to keep themselves away from idolatry, keep themselves away from um, uh, marked disobedience, from from thumbing their nose at the covenant, keep their way, keep themselves away from essentially getting cut off or karet in Hebrew. And the way a person got cut off was repeated, remorseless disobedience and um, <clears throat> constantly uh, uh, falling into. Uh, 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 what do we say, um, idolatry and things like that, like Israel did. So basically, the Torah was a kind of a tool to maintain your position. It helped to keep yourself clean, keep your record clean, so to say. And the Jews of Paul's day didn't leverage Torah, at least I don't believe they did. They didn't leverage Torah to, to gain covenant membership. Rather, they leveraged Torah obedience to maintain covenant membership that they gained by being a Jew or by becoming a Jew through the proselyte ceremony. Did I lose anyone? Did I lose anyone? This is the coin that I see going on. All right, and, and, and this whole coin is described by Paul as works of the law. Works of the law. One coin, two sides, got both these aspects to it. And so Paul can equally discuss getting in as well as staying in. And that's language. Getting and staying in language is language that's familiar to those of you who've read E.P. Sanders' books. So, and I think E.B. Sanders is on to something. His research is rock solid there. Let's keep reading. So, works of the law, I'll read that sentence again. Uh, works of the law, I'm going to read this section right here. Works of the law could and most probably also envisions the commensurate Torah obedience that was expected to flow out of the life of a professing covenant member. <clears throat> a life of obedience designed to mark a person out as belonging to the treasured people of God. In this, in this way, I say works of the law fashioned or functioned as a badge of identification. All right, so that's why Paul could say we're not justified by the works of the law. <coughs> Excuse me. 
we could translate, in my opinion, uh, speaking of verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, speaking of 2.16, I think we could translate the whole phrase thusly. A man is not justified, this is my own paraphrase, quote, a man is not justified by his ethnic-driven identity, whether natural or achieved, nor by his subsequent social possession and maintenance of Torah, but by faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> End quote. Now, I know that's a meaty, meaty sentence, right? Man is not justified by works of law. That's kind of how I translate works of law, which is really only two Greek words, ergonamu. Works, ergon, uh, where we get our word erga, uh, like ergonomics, uh, erga uh, is kind of a movement word, works word. Um, and then namos, uh, namu, is, is a derivative of the Greek word namos, uh, from which we get our word law, or more properly Torah. So erga namu is what Paul writes in the Greek, but I think it is a very technical, kind of a social-religious term that was understood in Paul's day, but that we here in the 21st century have kind of lost some of the meaning because we don't have much of the same social pressures, at least from a religious perspective. We don't have many of that, much of that that, that they had. We don't have the same. We don't have Jewish people today kind of um, really uh, encouraging, nearly forcing, actually compelling Gentiles to convert to Judaism under the... Uh, under the, with the understanding that their conversion is going to grant them some sort of covenant membership in Israel. Essentially, Israel has kind of abandoned that, that proselyte approach. Uh, not completely, but the, the, we don't find Jews uh, kind of going land and sea like they used to do maybe in the first century, like Jesus described, you know, speaking of the Pharisees, you travel land and sea to make one proselyte. We don't see Jewish people really doing that today. Instead, um, it's, it's, it's really the, the Christian uh, groups and subgroups that kind of go door-to-door knocking on your door and asking you if you want to join their groups these days. The Jewish people really don't do that as much. Um, but in Paul's day, it was really strongly suggested that, uh, and in fact strongly taught and believed, at least I understand it was, that um, uh, the Torah was reserved for Jews only. The Torah was a Jewish-only document. And in that worldview, from that nationalistic perspective, if you were not a Jew, then Torah, Torah obedience was not even available to you. It was not a doorway that was open to you. Meaning, only Jews kept the Torah. Only Jews were privileged to keep the Torah. It was kind of a trophy that for someone who was a Jew. It was a trophy of the Jewish community. The Torah was this prized possession that was cherished by the Jewish community. And it was not only cherished, but it was, um, it was exclusively kept and held by the Jewish people, uh, so much so that it was not even made available to non-Jews in that sense. So uh, the Torah became this Jewish-only document that um, once you either converted to a Jew or once you recognized your own uh, birth status as a Jew, then you could uh, walk into Torah. And so in that worldview, um, Paul's going to come along and he's first going to champion that the Gentiles are full-fledged covenant members in Messiah, not based on Jewish identity and not based on some some subsequent maintenance of Torah. Paul's going to have a problem with both sides of the coin that I just described a moment ago. Paul's going to disagree with the idea, the mistaken notion, that all Jews and only Jews share a place in the world to come simply because they're Jews, simply because they're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Paul's going to disagree with that view. He, he doesn't disagree with Jewish identity, he just disagrees with the the, um, the theological position that Jewish identity grants you covenant membership, uh, at least genuine and lasting covenant membership from a uh, um, from a salvific perspective. So that's that first side of the coin. Paul's going to have a lot of problems with. So he's going to have to go on this uh, this uh, campaign to explain this to his readers, that both to his Jewish readers as well as to his to the Gentile ones who were entertaining the notion that Jewish identity was the way to get into the covenant. Paul's going to uh, carefully dismantle that program by explaining that genuine and lasting covenant membership is only, only and exclusively available for those who place their genuine faith in Messiah Yeshua. And in that regards, Gentiles can also be counted as genuine covenant members without having to 
change their legal status, without having to change their ethnic status. So that first side of the coin is going to come crashing down in Paul's letters. He's going to dismantle that. It's not by being a Jew that one is brought into the covenant. And then the other side of the coin, where a, a Jew supposedly thought or believe, believed that supposedly his his keeping of Torah maintained his position in the covenant or uh, helped him to um, continue to uh, maintain or be counted as a righteous person. It's kind of a legalistic view of, of, of sanctification righteousness, right? I'm sanctified by, by keeping the Torah regardless of whether or not I have faith in God. I'm just sanctified by my works, right? Um, not saved by works, but sanctified by works. I, I, that's the position I'm kind of going with. Um, Paul's going to also dismantle that because essentially what Paul's going to teach is that we are brought into the covenant by faith and we are held in the covenant. We are maintained. Our covenant membership is maintained and kept secured by faith as well. It's, it's from faith to faith. I think that's really what Paul's meaning when he says from faith to faith. Um, that, that popular uh, um, uh, verse that we're familiar with. From faith to faith, we're brought into covenant membership by faith in Messiah, and we're held in covenant membership by faith. In other words, it's not like uh, Yeshua's blood brings us into the covenant, and then suddenly our own human effort keeps us in the covenant. That's not it at all. Rather, it's by the strength and faith of Messiah, faith in Messiah, faith of Messiah. Um, it's our genuine faith in Messiah. It's God's opening our eyes uh, to to um, to uh, lay hold of the faith of Messiah uh, that were brought into genuine and lasting covenant membership, and it is by faith that the Messiah keeps us. It's it's by the Spirit that we are kept. In other words, our salvation is secure by the power of Messiah, not by our own power, not by the flesh. Paul would use those words. So, you guys understanding what I'm saying here? One coin, two sides. And one side is what maybe Christians might call justification, and the other side is what Christians might call sanctification, but the whole coin is recognized as salvation. One coin, two sides, justification and sanctification, but one coin called salvation, or one coin called works of the law. And Paul's going to tell us it's not by works of law that we're justified. It's not by works of law that we're brought in. It's not by, by works of law that we're kept in. So, um... Let me read this uh, last sentence one more time, and let's see how much time we got left in the commentary. We might, we might bring it to a close here. We could translate the whole phrase thusly, the phrase, um, it's not by works of the law that we're justified. I'm just going to change the word works of the law out, the phrase works of the law, and insert my own phrase. Quote, a man is not justified by his ethnic-driven identity, whether natural or achieved nor by his subsequent social possession and maintenance of Torah. That's, that whole phrase is basically works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ. So, I say, what follows, uh, where Paul says, So we too have put our, our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one be, will be justified, or by works of the law. Perhaps... This phrase, where he follows, where he uses works of law three times, right? Ergonamu three times. It could has it could possibly be uh, tautological repetition. Um, do you understand what tautology is? Tautological, the ad adjective. Tautology noun is the the the. Uh, it's kind of a um. It's a grammatical. I'm sorry. It's a um. It's a a kind of a uh, um a stylistic way of writing where we say the same thing twice but use different verbiage in kind of poetic parallelism. You know, God is good, God is great, uh, like we might read about in the Proverbs or the Psalms. Well, is God good or is he great? Well, he's both. And so we use this, this kind of poetic way of writing, God is good, and then we turn around and say God is great. So we're teaching the one, it's one thought, but with two different ways of saying it. That's, that's kind of a tautological, tautological way of speaking, of writing, tautology. Um, perhaps Paul is just saying the same thing uh, two or three different ways. Um, we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law or not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. It sounds quite circular. Um, that's possibly one way of looking at this verse. 
But, I say in my commentary, see Dunn's comments below on the repetition of this verse. And we'll look at that probably next week. So for now, I think I've given you en enough to chew on. We'll start next week <clears throat> near the uh, bottom of page 96 with the paragraph, however well-meaning I might be in, in my assessment of these two verses. We'll start there. Because I, I think what's going on is in these verses, as I close, um, there are many different ways of viewing this idea, works of the law, in Paul's letters. And um, some choose to view works of the law as uh, the, the kind of legalistic view of keeping the law so that you can be saved. And I think, again, that is a, um, a, a, a strong possibility, the way of reading Paul. Perhaps works of law referred to the um, <clears throat> not really the, the written Torah so much as it referred to the oral traditions, the traditions of the fathers, the, the, um, the, uh, what we might now uh, recognize are the Talmud, you know, the mission of the Gemara, the response of literature, the, 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 the Shulchan Aruch, or something like that. Um, the, the traditions that were creeping their way into the written word of God and were in many cases uh, superseding the written word of God. The, the traditions were choking out, they were choking the life, uh, so to say, out of the true meaning. Not that they were defeating the written words of God. Nothing can defeat the written word of God, amen. But rather, the traditions in, in Paul's day were um, were being given more weight and more authority than the written word of God. And so to say, the, the traditions were uh, essentially more... Uh, favored by many Jewish people when it came to conducting their lives on an everyday basis. And so these fences that were being built up around the Torah began to really cloud or, or obfuscate the, the, the true meaning of God's word. We, 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 we had tradition built on top of tradition, built on top of tradition, kind of like calluses. And as a result, it was it was becoming more increasingly difficult to even uh, perceive or understand what was the original intent behind God's words because we had these traditions that were just piled on top of one another. Each succeeding rabbi or sage or or Torah teacher brought his own unique tradition uh, to the text, and the people were just increasingly clamoring after the Torah teachers. Uh, words rather than clamoring after God's words. You understand? And perhaps that's what Paul meant by works of the law. And uh, perhaps in that sense, the, the those traditions prevented the people from seeing the genuine truth of God's words. And Paul came to kind of clear all of that nonsense away, to, 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 to chop all of those weeds down, so to say, so that we could return to the pure milk of the word and begin to understand what God means by uh, uh, what he tells us to say, or to, I'm sorry, tells us to do. Perhaps that's what he mean, means by works of the law. We're not saved by the, the legalistic misunderstanding and traditions of the elders. That, that theologically would also be true if we, if we wielded it that way, but um, I, I tend not to think that that's what's going on in the first century, and I, I have my reasons for that, but I wouldn't strongly disagree with a person who held those views, because it kind of essentially, we arrive at the same position, which is that it's only by faith in Messiah that we're genuinely brought into the covenant. So I'm not too harsh on those those who hold those views, nor am I extremely harsh on the traditional tr Christian perspective that it's not by by works that we're saved. Because we we do need to, we do need to hear that. Many Gentiles need to hear that. So with that, I'll bring the commentary uh, tonight to a close, the study to a close, and we'll pick this up next week, Lord willing. Bezrat Hashem. I hope that you all can join me week by week. Again, if not, uh, join me on uh, the internet or just download the podcast from iTunes and catch the audio that way. Let's close in prayer. And for those of you who are in the live class, stay with me for the next 15 minutes or so, 15-20 minutes, and uh, we'll entertain comments, questions, or uh, things like that. Let's pray. Avino Bakeno, our Father, our King, Lord, I bless you tonight and I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, the awesome responsibility to uh, sit and to share with the students, to um, to teach, to relay your words to them. Um, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to protect me from the adversary, that you'll continue to give me wisdom and, and uh, insight into the text, that you'll help me to be um, diligent in my study and to 
Uh, more importantly, Lord, rely on the Spirit. Lord, I, I can't figure this out on my own. It's not because I'm smart, intelligent, a super genius that I figured out the text because I can read the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, or whatever. Lord, it's not in that. Rather, Lord, it's because by your mercy and grace you have, uh, you have called us to yourself. You have drawn us close to yourself. You have filled us with your precious words. You have, you have uh, um, transformed our lives by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. You have caused us to live lives that are pleasing to you by the power of the risen Messiah within us. And so thank you, Lord, for this uh, wonderful truth. Thank you for the awesome responsibility of being uh, vessels that showcase, uh, showcase the, the, the words of God, the truths of God. We, are, we have these treasures and jars of clay. We're so fragile, and yet you have chosen to partner with us. Help us to be circumspect, to give us a, a holy boldness to witness. Um, help us to know our place in Messiah, and to not lose hope, to not lose sight of the fact that we have a better hope, that we have a sure anchor for our soul, and his name is Jesus, and we are not ashamed to proclaim his name to our friends, to our family members, to our co-workers, to those around us. Lord, we know that uh, the light of Messiah will shine brightly if we just let it. So let us be lights uh, uh, into this dark world. Thank you uh, for each and every one who's joined me tonight. Continue to bless them, raise them up and heal them and strengthen us. Give us the uh, courage to go forward this week with the things that we've learned, to put the practice, to put feet to our faith. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God walk in all his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.